0: How are we doing this morning? Well, let me try this. Good morning, Trinity. Thank you. You guys sound wonderful. It is good to be uh, with you here this morning. If we haven't met, uh, as Carolyn said, my name is Dave Maxey, one of the staff here at Trinity. Uh, Just good to be here with you. Whether you're joining us online as well, uh, welcome uh, as well. Uh, so I was, uh, I was thinking about this story that happened to me uh, when I was a kid. It was actually the very, very first time that I had the opportunity to go to junior high school uh, summer camp. And this was really kind of just a seven-day summer camp. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the time where I was invited. It was, a, I, I think it was probably a, a Sunday evening and I was packing, getting ready to go for the Monday morning. We were going to go for a week and it was, this was just going to be me, but some meeting some new people and, and I'm kind of packing my backpack and I had this list of all the things I was supposed to bring, right? Uh, you know, I'm packing all my clothes and, and maybe the deodorant I was still trying to figure out how to use and those kinds of things. And and, and I remember just packing, kind of getting ready. I was a little bit excited and somewhat a little bit nervous, right? I, I, I didn't know everyone there at the camp, but but I was ready to go and excited. And and, uh, just as I was getting to to finalize the stuff that I was packing, my mom walked in to my bedroom, and she hands me this envelope uh, that had a stamp on it, and it had my address on it, and inside it was a piece of paper. Now, keep in mind that this was in the days when you couldn't just send a text to someone. This was in the days where you had to actually, if you wanted to communicate over a long distance, it was either a phone call or a letter. And so here's what my mom said. She said, Here's the deal. Like, I'm giving you this envelope. You don't even have to write an address on it, but I want you, Dave, to make sure that somewhere during the middle of the week that you pull out the paper and you write a letter to me and let me know how your week is going, right? I want to know about the friends you're meeting. I want to know what's happening. What are the exciting, fun things that you're doing? And, and so she hands me the envelope and, and she kind of then looks me right in the eye and she says, Now, David, my mom calls me David. Uh, David, make sure that you write me, okay? All right? And okay, Mom, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. So I took the letter, I put it in my, my blue suitcase, and uh, uh, the next morning we went off to to summer camp, and uh, I remember one of the things I was supposed to pack was a little bit of spending money. I had $5 kind of that I'd been saving for a rainy day, and uh, within day one, I went to what's called the canteen. You could buy some different things there, and I spent all $5 on candy, like you do when you're in junior high, right? And uh, and uh, they, they had this really cool sweatshirt, though, but the sweatshirt was $20, and I thought, like, well, that'd be super cool to get that, but I didn't have enough money for that, but it's uh, you know, I, I already spent my five dollars, and so uh, Monday, Tuesday, I loved it. Uh, I loved the, they had this thing called the blob, and it was this giant thing that was in the, the lake, and so you could sit on one side, and someone would jump on the other, and it would just shoot you across the air into the water, giant, giant long water slide, first time I got to shoot bow and arrow, uh, a lot of cool things, I even loved the chapel services, I had a couple guys that rapped. it was super cool, it was kind of new for me at that time, uh, and somewhere around Tuesday evening, uh, about an hour before the evening chapel was to begin, we had free time. I went to my suitcase, I was kind of in the cabin, and I saw the envelope. And uh, I kind of pulled the envelope out, and I thought to myself, and you know, I kind of hear my mom's words in my head, Dave, make sure you write me a letter, right? And yet I'm kind of faced with this dilemma, right? I, I, you know, I really, I've got an hour left of free time, and I want to go back outside, and I don't want to have fun, and I don't necessarily want to write all the, the touchy-feely things that I know my mom wants to hear, right, and, and send her a letter. And so I chose just to put the envelope back in my suitcase and, uh, and go back outside. And so uh, Wednesday happens, Thursday happens, and I did this for a couple times, and I remember in the evenings, uh, you know, I would pull that letter out, or that envelope, I would say, and I would notice the envelope a few times, but come Friday, I just, I just never got around to sending my mom a letter. Uh, my parents came and picked me up, and I'm talking all about my experience at camp on the ride home, and, and uh, as we get into the house, it's kind of explaining, you know, it was fun, I met some new people, all the things, the different things that had happened at camp, and, into, uh, you know, my mom said, David, you know, I know you didn't, you didn't write me that letter. And, well, yeah, I know, Mom, but it was fun. There's a lot of things that was happening, you know, telling her all about the chapel services, all the things I enjoyed. And, uh, and she said, well, do you still have the envelope? It's got my stamp on it, right? And, uh, you know, that was back in the days when stamps were nickel. They were like 50 bucks nowadays. But, but back in those days, uh, you know, she wanted her stamp back. And, uh, you know, I, okay, Mom, I went in and I, I got the letter and, uh, you know, the, em- the envelope. And she pulls the envelope. She kind of opens the envelope a little bit, looks at the paper inside. And she said, David, you, you didn't even open this envelope, did you? I so, said, well, my, I know. I, I was just busy. There was a lot of things that were happening. It was super fun. And She said, well, do you know how I know that you didn't open the envelope? Uh, no, Mom. And she pulls out the paper that was inside and opens up the paper, and there was a $20 bill inside. <laughs> my mom's always kind of been sneaky like that. <clears throat> And I was thinking about this story, and I was thinking, uh, number one, uh, I never did write my mom that letter, and I never did get that $20 bill, uh, but what I was thinking is this, my mom really at that time was, was inviting me to tell her all about the things that I was doing out of relationship, and yet I chose to, to not communicate in that way, in the way that she was asking me, because I wanted to do more things. And I was just kind of thinking about where we're going to go this morning. And, and to, you know, part of my thought process is how often I do that with, with a walk with my Lord. Like there are times when, when there's this invitation, commune with me, build relationship with me, a drawing in. And yet, and yet there are times when I'll say, I, I, you know, I know, I know, I'm, I'm busy, I've got, I've got this task list. Like I'll, I'll get, there's a lot of good things I'm doing, Jesus. And I, and I won't necessarily take the time to build that relationship in the way that he calls and he draws me in. And I think we're going to see some things here this morning as we, uh, as we continue in our series uh, today. Uh, and I think there's kind, of a, there's kind of a pin. I want to do a little bit of foreshadowing. I want to read First John chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. This is where we are going to end up this morning. And this, this kind of relates to some of the thought processes that I had. Let me read it to us. Whoever has the Son has life whoever does not have the son of god does not have life i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life and there's this kind of question that i think is posed in here how how can you not just believe but also know that we have eternal life We've been talking about identity. How can you know that, that your identity is in Christ, that I'm a Christian, that I, that I have an eternal life that starts now and continues forever with him? How can I be certain of these things, not just hopeful that they are true? And here's a big idea that we will return to before the end of our time this morning. The path to confidently knowing is found in the rhythms of consistently being. See, being is about building relationship. It's about building relationship with him and not just doing more things for him or even more things that are that are completely uh, even a distraction from your relationship with him. Well, we're gonna come full circle back to this thought. So I just kind of want to lay this groundwork in this last statement in this space. The confidence to know is not in knowing more about God, but it is in knowing him intimately. We just sang, we just sang words of Your way is better. I I will make room for you. All these these declarations of the fact that it's who He is, it's His character and His nature. And there's this confidence that comes from knowing, but it's not just about, it's not just a doing, it's actually a knowing who He is. And so, by way of recap, just to kind of catch us all up, we have been in a series called Do One Thing. And uh, the idea is, you know, our, our mission at Trinity Church is we, we seek to glorify God and make disciples by awakening people to full life with Christ. And We would say that a disciple is one who is following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and on Jesus' mission to multiply. And, and as we looked over this, this year of what that looks like, one of the things that we just determined is, you know, uh, oftentimes we can get easily distracted by how far we need to go, and we forget that we, don't even, we haven't even taken a single step. And as we look at our lives and our lives together as a collective, one of our hopes and our focuses for this year is that, that you and I would just take one step toward being a disciple of Jesus, just, just one more step. And we've been breaking that down kind of into focuses. This month's focus has been identity. And uh, in week one, as we talked about identity, we saw that the idea of of the label on the outside, being called a Christian, should actually match what's on the inside. And the purpose of being called was uh, a Christian actually stemmed from the idea of there was something being expressed outwardly, and so the label must fit We looked at last week and week two that that if we really want to know and understand our identity and who who God says we are, we need to start by who He is and knowing about Him. And that there's this this choice that you and I have. What cup do we drink from? What voice are we going to allow into our life? Are we going to hear the voice of our Father and and respond to that or the voice of the enemy or the voice of our doubt or our fears or, or those who maybe don't have our best interest in mind? And as we continue in identity in this Do One Thing in this week, uh, we're going to talk about the idea of identity really being rooted, and it takes us from believing to this place of knowing. And so I just want to invite you as we continue just to bow your heads with me. I want to pray this morning, and we just want to invite the Holy Spirit to be in our time. Will you pray with me? Father, as I uh, just stand here this morning, I just recognize that apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. And yet you've given your spirit to, to live within us. And as we worship you and welcome you just to, to make us sensitive to your voice here this morning, I pray that you would do exactly that. As we look at your word, would you uncover the truths that you have for us? Would you, would you show us who you are in a new and a fresh way, in a deep way? Let us see your beauty all the more here today as we, we even talk about identity and who you say that we are and how we can, we can hear your word and your voice. Would you... Would you just speak clearly to us this morning in your name? Amen. So as we want to eventually get to this place of what does it look like that I, I cannot just hope. I cannot just believe, but I can actually live out of a knowing of who God is. I can know that identity that I have, that eternity that I have with him, that eternity that starts now. I think one of the most helpful things is to actually backtrack, if you will, on the path. If I need to get here, if I backtrack a little bit, I can see how we started. And so this is kind of what we're going to do this morning. I would make this first statement. Our knowing begins with our belief. Our knowing begins with our belief, and as we would begin to walk down this path from where we might be into the place of of knowing, this is the first place that we begin and, and we 're going to actually bump first of all in mark chapter one, and then we 'll come back to first John, mark chapter one, verse fourteen. This is what it says. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand." Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Our knowing begins first with our belief. And as, as Jesus has said here, as this text is said, the words of Jesus, belief in the gospel is actually the very expression of repentance. We can back up even one more step if we're going to say on this path toward knowing. Repentance is the first step on the path to knowing, but repentance is not just just choosing a moral code. It's been said like this, that, that Christianity is not merely a spiritual alternative to living life. It is living life knowing that you and I are accountable to the God who created us. See, we could live according to a moral code and we could say, well, Christianity is about about doing the right things and being kind and, and, uh, you know, the golden rule. And some of those things have value, absolutely, but those things in and of themselves are powerless to save. Only Jesus saves. And in this context, too, there's this, there's this idea that repentance is actually seen in belief, and not just a random belief. See, sometimes we think belief is, is just this idea of, like, I know, I know up here mentally, it's this idea of belief is, is outplaying itself in repentance. They are, they're hand in hand. And so repentance is not just choosing to live life on some moral code. If we, if we do not believe, we have not repented. We've only understood the gospel story but not surrendered our lives to Jesus as Lord. And I would say like this, that belief is my repentance seen in action. Belief is my repentance seen in action. Uh, you know it's 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 kind of we could look at some comparison because my the opposite of my belief in what this text says is in the Gospel story in the story of God who created all things and that you and I have rebelled against this perfect and holy God. And, and in our rebellion, we are justfully deserving of death, and yet God is equally kind as he is good. The Bible tells us that, that the price of our sin is deserving of death, and therefore he actually chose to send his son Jesus to live a perfect life who did not sin. And the sin that you and I commit in both action and deed and in character and nature was placed upon Jesus. Jesus was brutally killed in our place The Punishment of our sin was placed upon him. This gospel story that God rescued us from our rebellion against him through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. This is the belief that we are talking about here. And and the opposite of that is almost like this self-righteousness. So my belief in my repentance would look like a trusting in what Jesus has done on my behalf. My self-righteousness would be, okay, I've got a list. If I do these things, then God is pleased. God approves of me. The gospel says, the gospel story says, I have rebelled and thus I deserve death, so Jesus died for me. Self-righteousness, on the other hand, says, others have rebelled, but I'm not really that bad. The gospel says, I couldn't, so Jesus did in my place. Self-righteousness says, this time I mean it, I'm really going to do what's right. The gospel says, I could never be good enough, but Jesus was more than enough for me. Self-righteousness says that if I do enough good, God must eventually approve of me. The gospel says that I can do nothing apart from Jesus. Self-righteousness says I will only call upon Jesus when things get bad enough. The gospel says Jesus paid it all and I'm God's child. My identity is rooted in him, what he says about me. Self-righteousness says I will pay the price when I mess up, when I sin, by my own guilt and shame until it feels like it's enough. And we cannot repent of our sin without believing in the gospel or the good news at the same time. To turn from my sin and to turn to my own will or my own determination is still in sin. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there is a lot of construction that's happening now around Michigan. And, uh, you know, I live in the Oakness area, not too far from the Meridian Mall, and there have been days when I pull out of my driveway and I literally have no idea how I'm going to get to this building because you might go left and eventually that road has a detour and the detour has a detour and, and before you know it, you're driving all over the place and, you know, I've learned a couple things. I know why my vehicle has a horn now. I understand what that is for. And I also completely understand road rage because I'm telling you what, when there's construction all over the place, there are some folks that are just driving angry. And, uh, you know, but, but there's a couple things that happen, one in particular that I know. If I'm, if I'm going and I finally get through this turn and that turn, when I turn left, the very act of me turning left means I can no longer turn right. Now sometimes people try that, usually we call that drunk and they get pulled over if you're trying to turn both ways at the same time. But the very act of me turning left means that I can no longer turn right. And this is, this is the idea of, of repentance. Belief in repentance means my belief is not in, okay, God, you're right, I've sinned, I've rebelled against you, and so now, my belief in my own will, my own will to do what's right, I'm going to make a list of, of here's the things that I should do, and I'm, I'm going to focus on that. Actually, repentance is, is turning away from all that, and my belief is the fact that in and of myself, I'm never enough. But Jesus went to the cross in my place, and now, now his right standing before God, the way that I can know God, he actually gives to me through his spirit. He deposits his righteousness to me. And now now the father sees me the same way he sees Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. Now Jesus gives me his Holy Spirit to live with inside of me so that I actually am transformed. And I begin to look more like Jesus, the place where there's more joy in my heart because this is the God who made me. And instead of saying, you know what, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to, not this time. I'm not, I'm going to get it right. No, it's actually, I don't need to do any of that. I just need to to run after Jesus I just need to know him because as I know him he deposits more of his spirit his spirit fills me I look more like him and out of that comes my obedience out of that comes transformation Amen. the road to knowing passes first through believing and believing is the expression of repentance repentance and so we can kind of lay that groundwork as we begin to move down the path. I want to go back to 1 John this morning, and we're going to begin to kind of retrace our steps backwards again, ultimately leading to where we started in this place of knowing. I want to see some markers along the way. We're going to begin in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. And here's what this says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So here's the first marker on the path as we are starting with the foundation of repentance and belief, ultimately trying to get to the destination of knowing. The first marker that we see here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 is that there should be a love for God and a love for his church. And if you believe in Jesus, you you have a new identity as his child of God. You have a new family. You and I have a a, a new identity because God loved us. And and the Bible says that you and I should not only love God, but we should love others that are part of this this new family. The the test to know whether I'm loving God or not is actually the transformation that I can see in my heart. Do, Do I know him more? But I would say this, the test to know whether I'm loving others is what do I do when I hate them? And I've, I've learned this throughout the years, you know, I've often said there's been times I've done uh, kind of some marriage counseling, and one of the things I'll, I'll say in relationally is, you know, you really never know that you love someone, you really never make that choice until you've hated them first. And, and that might seem like, ah, oh, it doesn't make any sense. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've had a friend for any length of time, if you've had children, there's something that happens when it gets to the point where you think, I want to choke you out right now, um, but I'm not going to do that because I love you. And there's a choice that happens where you choose to lay down your own will and your, your desires and realize that, you know what, there are things from a, from a vantage point that I don't have. There are, there are desires from another person that I'm going to lay down my own will for that person. And sometimes it's easy, to, it's easy to see, okay, yeah, you're absolutely right. I should love God. I can do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. But, uh, you know, where, where is my level of love when it comes to his church? You know, I used to be surprised when another person who would say, yep, I bear the name of of Christ, I used to be surprised when another Christian would say or do something that would hurt me. Uh, years ago when, uh, I, you know, I was born in Flint, spent a lot of time uh, in elementary, early junior high, high school in Flint. And then for a couple of years, I went to the Mount Pleasant Baptist Academy for a while. And at that time, uh, I, I had some questions asked when I was changing schools. Like, are you going to be okay? You know, what, what is this place like? And I remember, th- I remember saying, it's going to be great because this is a Christian school. It's going to be awesome. And uh, to my surprise, I found out that they were people just like me. And I used to have this idea, like, it used to be a surprise. Like, how could we, we're in church, like, how could we behave this way? How could we do certain things? You know, I don't want to be part of church because they're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. Surprise, if you're wondering, um, you are one too, and how do I know that? Because none of us are perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. And Scripture is saying there's, there's something inherently, a clear marker. What is my level of love for others that are in the body of Christ? So write it down like this. A healthy church family is not one who never hurts one another. A healthy church family is one who lives out of grace and forgiveness when we do. It's normal. If you've been hurt by someone, it's normal. If you've hurt someone, it's normal. If you've not experienced either of those yet, it's normal. Just wait, it's coming. What is not normal is what I would say is oftentimes kind of our fight or flight what do I mean by that? Well, we, we often have this kind of reaction when we're hurt. Like, either I want to, someone's hurt me, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up the ante. I'm going to take a higher level of hurt, and I'm going to bring that back to them. Or I'm just going to leave. I'm gonna Nobody says that. I don't have to take that. And I'm just going to disconnect from community, and I'm just going to be on my way, and I'm going to go to that other place. And, you know, because definitely someone else is, is, is more perfect, right? And then we, we have this other community. We go, and as soon as we walk in the door, it's, a, it's always funny. I've, I've talked to people, been here a couple weeks, and like, oh, it's so wonderful. And I think, just wait, we, we absolutely are. But, you know, when you get closer to something, the closer you get, the more of its faults you see. But we are all saved by grace. We are, we are just simply one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. Jesus is the only one perfect among us. And so this first marker, everyone who believes in Jesus, we would have a love for God and a love for his church as we see in John. The next marker we can see as we continue in in verse 2 of 1 John chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Another marker here that we see is we obey his commands. And here's the, the interesting thing. His commands and our obedience should actually be born out of a transformed heart, not necessarily a self-righteous will. You know, what does my level of obedience look like? We don't, we don't obey God so that we uh, will be loved by God. We actually obey God because the Bible says we, he, he first loved us. And there's something that happens in this beautiful picture that God has created. It's this idea that he pursues me. And even if I'm running away from him, he's running after me. And there's a tenderness, there's a beauty in our God, there's a a grace and there's a majesty. And at the same time, there's there's an accountability and there's there's a righteousness and there's a holiness that he possesses. And yet he's made a way that I could know him. He's made a way that I could walk with him. And my obedience is actually birthed from the Holy Spirit in me. My obedience is not something, and as we see in this text, the marker along the way, it's not about my self-righteous will. And I I wrote it this way. Obedience born from repentance is an act of gratitude and faith. And yet obedience born from self-righteousness is an act of my pride and even my obligation. Right, like I, I've got to get up early and I've got to go to that building. I've got to, okay, like I really want to be, I've got to say this thing to that because that's what a good little Christian is supposed to do. That's obligation versus there's an overflow of my heart from the Spirit in me and I'm reacting based upon what the transformation is within me. It's seen, my, my repentance, it, it, it looks like belief and it outflows from the Holy Spirit within me. Another marker as we continue and we look at First John chapter 5. Walking this path, how do we get back to this place of of knowing, of knowing? We look at verse 4 here, 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There's another marker as we walk this path that you and I would overcome the world and its way of living. There's something about the Spirit of God living in us that we become light in darkness. And I wonder, like, where where is my level of overcoming? When we say overcome, we don't mean, oh, and i got that great parking spot now, and oh, and I've got that raise now, and and God has given me all kinds of cool, cool stuff, and in faith that's talked about here, it's a currency to get stuff from God. That's not what the Scripture is saying. The overcoming of the world actually means the the world and its systems, rather than me step into that place and be changed by it, actually I'm a kingdom ambassador and I walk into these spaces and I bring light into these spaces. The culture that might feel like it could overtake me, no, the spirit of God lives within me, and I actually reset that culture to kingdom culture. I overcome the world. That's what we're hearing here in this text. Am Am I shaped by the world around me or do I set a culture, a kingdom culture, of the world that I, that I walk in and I step in. You know, living from this identity as we, as we talk about being a, a light in the world, it just simply means that I live as though there is a bigger story at play that I understand that there is a greater narrative at play, that that we repent and we believe in the gospel story, that, that Jesus has given us his spirit to live within the heart of every believer, that the spirit transforms our hearts with new desires to be like him, and we're given the power to reflect him, to be his witnesses upon this earth, to make disciples, and we no longer have to live in the hopelessness of this world because we know the end of the story, and God created it all. So that's a third marker that we see this morning. As we continue on in 1 John, I'm going to read kind of this next set of verses as a a whole here. We're going to look at verse 6 and go on through 10. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Now, there's a lot of words and a lot of space in this text that could seem like confusing. What is this water and blood and three and like what is all this stuff talking about? Um, I think scholars by and large would agree that, that John is using language that is likely referring water, blood, could be a, a reference to both Jesus' baptism, also even his crucifixion, his birth and earthly body. There's a lot of things that are that are kind of happening here, but John is, is really giving a picture we could we could could sum it up like this. Jesus left his divine power in heaven to live a perfect life upon this earth. He modeled what the spirit-filled life looks like for you and I. He surrendered his will to the Father and his life, death, burial, resurrection has paid the price for our sin and all who repent and believe in this story. And, and really the ending of this text talking about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit who confirms the word of God to testify that this story is true. That this in fact is the word of God revealing who God is to us. And so all of that we can just simply say, yeah, this is the spirit of God confirming the gospel story. And then we see it kind of summed up in, in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life in his son. And now we come back full circle with where we started this morning as we look at verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Repentance expressed itself in belief. Belief looks like a life lived under a new identity, not not an identity of this world, but one as a son and a daughter of our creator, one under the lordship of Jesus Christ, not my own self-righteousness. And back to our question, how can I not just hope that these things are true, not just believe that these things are true, but also know that my identity is in Christ, know that I can have eternal life that that begins today, that I am his child, that my identity is grounded fully in him, not in this earth, not in what others say about me, or my failures, or my fears, or my doubts. And I would say that knowing is cultivated first from the soil of belief, that repentance and belief, And our belief is not just in a story, but in the person of that story, Jesus. You know, uh, as you look at the very part, first part in verse 12, whoever has the son has life. That word has is very key because this is not a passive word. You might think, well, if I have some dinner or I have a, a cell phone, something just laying on my mantle, I have that. That's not actually the way that this word is described. By definition in the original text, it means to possess, to have, or to hold on to. And it's like this, you know, I'm a, I'm a hunter, um, I have tree blinds that are high in the trees. Some of you know I, uh, I was able to teach one time from my tree house, which is uh, about, about 14 feet up. I love heights, I just don't like falling from them. And so... Uh, the thing about this is, you know, I, I, several years ago, I remember I was climbing up my tree, and I've done this more than once, climbing up to my deer blind, which is probably about 12 feet up, and it's got this kind of small, tiny rung ladder, and you've got one hand as you're going up, and there was a time that I remember my foot slipped, and the moment my right foot slipped, my, my right hand immediately gripped that tree and held on for dear life. Because if I didn't hold on, I was going to fall, and I did not want to experience that. And, and this is that he who has, this is kind of the picture of what this text is talking about. This is not just a, a passive, you kind of believe that the story is true, you're sort of, no, this is all of my life and all of everything that I need to live is rooted in who Jesus is, and I'm holding on tightly because without him, I am nothing. Without his transformation, I'm not, I don't have an identity, but he has given me identity, and I want to know more of him, and I want to be transformed by him, and so I'm holding on tight to who he is. This is what this he who has the son has life. The path to confidently knowing is found in the rhythms of consistently being. You know, as I shared the story about my mom and and really her just wanting me to write her a letter that was born from wanting to know me more, relationship more, and yet I just wanted to, to do more, to do more. Often I'm guilty of the same thing with my Lord. There's just, there's even good things on that list. Jesus, you know, I, you know, I work at a church and so there's, there's just a lot of things that I need done and I get up in the morning and I've got this task list and, and yes, I know I need to stop and pause and there are just days where, where I go more after the doing and less after the being. And as we kind of sort this out, there's a there's a there's a picture of what this looks like, the differences of what we're talking about, and I, I want to give us just a moment to breathe and a little bit of a little bit of forewarning and preparing for this next text because what I'm about to read in Matthew chapter seven, uh, you know I have I have really heard one or two or seen one of two kind of responses to this text. Either we read it and we say ah that's kind of tongue in cheek, like Jesus doesn't really mean that, or we read it and we respond in fear and think oh my goodness, you know I've got to, I've got to do all these things from even my own self-righteousness. I I don't want to mess up because God will be mad at me. And and neither of those, I I think, are our God-called response to this text. But let's read this together. These, These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Just pause there for a minute. It's easy to look at that and think, okay, the will of my father, well, it must be good Christian. Thing. There, must be, there must be a level of things that I've got to attain to. And yet, uh, we can look more places in Scripture. And God's primary law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Keep that in mind. It goes on to say in verse 22, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons out in your name and with many mighty works in your name that we did many mighty works in your name? And this is Jesus' response. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let the weight of this just kind of marinate for a minute. The list of of the doing, the list of what, what could easily be said, like that's the that's the A-team of obedience to God, right? They've, they've cast out demons and they've done many signs and, and they even call Jesus, Lord, you're my Lord, I surrender to you. And what does Jesus say? Um, I don't even know who you are. We can know we have eternal life by intimately knowing the giver of life and in the beauty in the picture of this is that Jesus' heart is, is that you and I would know him. And something inherently happens as we begin to know him that we become like him. And the transformation produces obedience. And that's a different pathway to obedience than, you know what, if I don't obey, God's not going to approve. So I guess I've got to do the right good little Christian thing. And then, and then out of that, maybe God will forgive me. And if he does, then I'll kind of know a little bit about Jesus. We, we have a tendency to want to take this other path. And Jesus is saying, I want to know you. I don't need you to try to clean yourself up because you can't. Come, come as you are. I'm running after you, I'm pursuing after you. And I I guess my question would be: is do you know him? My God's good. Jesus is good. He's faithful and he's kind. He never changes. He's holy. He's just. He's, he's in a category all by himself. He, he never has an end to his glory. We will de- continue to, to understand and describe and, and see the, the vastness, the greatness of who he is. My God is forgiving. He's, he's just. He's merciful. He is one who is, who is full of grace. He is one who pursues. He is one that is, that is not put off by, by my sin. He is one who heals. He restores. He makes better. My God is good. He's always, always, always good. He pursues me in ways that I I don't even understand. When I'm running from him, he's running toward me. When I've taken all that I have and squandered it, he, he is there with a smile saying, come back, my son. When my identity is fully rooted in him, do I understand? Do you know him? My God is not one who holds, who holds guilt and shame that was paid for on the cross. My God is one who on that cross paid for the things and the sins that I commit against him as well as the things and the hurts and the wounds that others commit against me. My God is one who can heal that. My God is one who is, who is full of grace and full of all goodness and full of power. He can transform the hardest heart. He can soften the hardest heart. Do you know him? He calls us to know him. And that path to, to, to knowing, it's kind of a silly question. How can I know that if I die, I would spend eternity just know Him? Because the spirit of God who reveals Jesus, will begin to reveal deeper truths of His word. And you know, this word that we read would just be pages, uh, would just be words on, on pages, were it not for the Spirit of God opening our eyes to reveal him. And so as we read his scripture, it's a revelation of him. It's not just, hey, these are the good Christian things you're supposed to do. It is, see me for who I am. See who, who you are. See apart from me who you and I cannot be. But see the grace and the mercy that I've given you in my son Jesus. Do you know him? And as we would end today, you know, I, I don't know where you're at. There's that place of repentance and belief that we've talked about, belief in the accomplished work of Jesus on your behalf, on my behalf. You might be here today, and you, you've never repented. You've never, you've never held fast, just like your life depended on it, to, to the accomplished work of Jesus in your life. What is your next thing today? What is your, what is your do one thing? Maybe for you, it's that moment of, of responding to the Holy Spirit that's already working in your heart right now. Maybe you're online joining us or maybe you're here in this room, what is your do one thing? Is it, is it stepping toward knowing him and his identity? Maybe it's just the first place of recognizing apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. And so I surrender. What is your one thing? It could be maybe you're here today and you've done that, and, and you're striving to. There's there's a lot of opportunity that we have provided. Maybe for you, it's it's time to get baptized, and maybe you're do one thing. You need to sign up on this sheet and just note, I want to get baptized. If that's you, you can sign that up. You can put that in the uh, the drop box. The giving box is on the way out. Maybe for you, as, as Carolyn mentioned, it's, uh, it's joining one of the other classes, a gifted workshop. It's, it's signing up for our daily devotional. It's grabbing this sheet and looking at communities. Maybe for you, the next right thing, that do one thing, is just, is just taking one more step into some spaces that you haven't right now. Maybe your do one thing is, yeah, there's, there's someone I need to talk to and ask forgiveness for. Maybe your do one thing is to realize that, that, uh, the rhythms of your life maybe don't have space to know him. Maybe your do one thing is to to just pick one rhythm and reset that in a place that runs after him. I don't know what your one thing is today. But I would say the Father calls, Jesus calls us out of identity, not, not to respond so that we might be loved, but because he loves us, we respond. What's your one thing today? I want to invite you to stand as we close. I'm going to invite our, our prayer team and our elders if they would come down. And as they're coming, you may have been here, and, and as, as we're listening to the word of God, as we're hearing, maybe you have made a decision. Maybe you've chosen for the first time to respond to the Spirit's nudge in your life. I want to invite you to come down when we close here in just a moment and, and tell us that we want to pray with you. We want to help you begin this journey and continue on in this journey. Maybe there's other things that, yeah, the Lord has, has just inspired you or spoke to you in a way that you need, to, you need to be baptized, you need to sign up for something. We want to know about those things. We want to help you along this journey, take the next step. Whatever your next step is, don't do it alone. Do it in community as the family of God. Will you bow your heads with me as I close in prayer this morning? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are always speaking, and I pray that you would make us attentive to your voice, and I thank you, Lord, that there's no pressure on me to say anything, just the right words this morning. I thank you there's no pressure on any of us here this morning to to perform for you or to, to just get everything together, that we can just be silent and we can listen and we can just be with you, and you will lead us and empower us. Would you make the next right thing clear for everyone that's here? Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, empower us to actually take that step and to do it with one another under your power? In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. We'll see you back next week.